free will, use it or lose it. In Parshat Va'era, we read for the first time, not of Pharaoh's hardening his heart, but of God doing so. I will harden Pharaoh's heart, said God to Moses, and multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. And so indeed we find in the sixth plague, boils, the eighth locusts, and the tenth, the firstborn. In each case, the hardening is attributed to God. Hence the problem that troubled the sages and later commentators. If God was the cause... And Pharaoh, merely his passive vehicle, what was his sin? He had no choice, therefore no responsibility, therefore no culpability. The commentators give a broad range of answers. One, Pharaoh's loss of free will during the last five plagues was a punishment for his obstinacy in the first five where he did act freely. Or two, the relevant verb, lechazek, doesn't mean to harden, but to strengthen. God wasn't taking away Pharaoh's free will, but to the contrary, preserving it in the face of overwhelming disasters that were hitting Egypt. Third, very ingenious, says that God is a partner in all human action, but we only usually attribute an act to God if it seems inexplicable in ordinary human terms. Pharaoh acted freely throughout all the ten plagues, but it was only during the last five that his behavior was so strange that it was attributed to God. Note how reluctant the commentators were to take the text at face value, rightly so. Because free will is one of the fundamental beliefs of Judaism. Maimonides explains why. If we had no free will, there would be, he says, no point to the commands and prohibitions, since we would behave as we were predestined to do, regardless of what the law is. Nor would there be any justice in reward or punishment, since neither the righteous nor the wrongdoer is free to be other than what they are. So the problem is an ancient one. But it's become much more salient in modern times because of the sheer accumulation of challenges to the belief in human freedom. Marx said history is formed by the play of economic forces. Freud argued that we are what we are because of unconscious drives. Neo-Darwinians say that however we rationalise our behaviour, we do what we do because people who behaved this way in the past survived to hand their genes on to future generations. Most recently, neuroscientists have shown you're using fMRI scans that in some cases our brain registers a decision up to seven seconds before we're consciously aware of the fact. All of this is interesting and important. But contemporary secularists usually fail to see what the ancient sages knew perfectly well, that if we genuinely lack free will, our entire, our entire sense of what it is to be human, will crumble into dust. There's a glaring contradiction at the heart of our culture. On the one hand, secularists believe that nothing should constrain our freedom to choose to do whatever we want to do or be whatever we want to be so long as we don't harm others. Their supreme value is free choice. On the other hand, secularists tell us that free choice doesn't exist. So why should we invoke freedom to choose as a value if it is, according to science, an illusion? If hard determinism is true, then there's no reason to honour liberty or create a free society. To the contrary, 
We should embrace Aldous Huxley's brave new world where children are conceived and hatched in laboratories and adults programmed to stay happy by a regime of drugs and pleasure. We should implement the scenario of Anthony Burgess's The Clockwork Orange in which criminals are reformed by brain surgery or conditioning. If freedom doesn't exist, why be bothered by the addictive nature of computer games and social media? Why prefer genuine reality to virtual reality? It was Nietzsche who rightly observed that the greater our scientific achievements, the lower our view of the human person. We are no longer the image of God. We've become mere incarnated algorithms. The truth is, though, that the more we understand about the human brain, the better able we are to describe what free action really is. A present scientist distinguished between the amygdala, the most primitive part of the brain, conditioned to sensitize us to potential danger, the limbic system, sometimes called the social brain, which is responsible for much of our emotional life, and the prefrontal cortex, which is analytical and capable of dispassionately weighing the consequences of alternative choices. And it's the tension between these three that form the arena within which personal freedom is won or lost. Patterns of behavior are shaped by neural pathways connecting different parts of the brain. But not all of them are good for us. So, for instance, we might turn to drugs or binge eating or thrill-seeking to distract us from some of the unhappy chemicals, fears and anxieties, for instance, that are also part of the architecture of our brain. And the more often we do so, the more myelin gets wrapped around the pathway and the more rapid and instinctive the behavior becomes. So the more often we behave in certain ways, the harder it is to protect that, to uh, break the habit and create a new and different pathway. To do so requires the acquisition of new habits, acted on consistently for an extended period of time. Current scientific thinking suggests that a minimum of 66 days is needed to form a new habit. So we now have a scientific way of explaining the hardening taking place in Pharaoh's heart. Having established a pattern of response to the first five plagues, he would find it progressively more difficult at every level, neuroscientifically, psychologically, and indeed politically, to change. The same is true of every bad habit and every bad political decision. Almost all our structures, mental and social, tend to reinforce previous patterns of behavior. So our freedom diminishes every time we fail to exercise it. If so, then today's Parsha and contemporary science tell the same story, that freedom is not a given, nor is it an absolute. We have to work for it. We acquire it slowly in stages, and we can lose it as Pharaoh lost his. And as drug addicts, workaholics, and people addicted to computer games lose theirs. In one of the most famous opening lines in all literature, Jean-Jacques Rousseau wrote at the beginning of the social contract that man is born free 
and everywhere he is in chains. In fact, the opposite is true. Our early character is determined partly by DNA, the genetic heritage of our parents and theirs, partly by our home and upbringing, partly by our friends, and partly by the surrounding culture. We are not born free. We have to work hard to achieve freedom. That takes rituals, whose repeated performance creates new neural pathways and new rapid response behaviour. It requires a certain calibrated distance from the surrounding culture if we're not to be swept away by social fads and fashions that seem liberating now but destructive in retrospect. It needs a mental mindset that pauses before any significant action and asks, should I do this? May I do it? What rules of conduct should I bring to bear? It involves an internalised narrative of identity so that we can ask of any course of action is this who I am and what I stand for? It is no ex accident that the elements listed in that previous paragraph are all prominent features of Judaism, which turns out to be an ongoing seminar in willpower and impulse control. Now that we're beginning to understand the plasticity of the brain, we know at least a little of the neuroscience that lies behind the ability to overcome bad habits and addictions. Keeping Shabbos, for example, has the power to liberate us and our children from smartphone addiction and all that goes with it. The religion whose first festival, Pesach, celebrates collective freedom, gives us in its rituals the skills we need for personal freedom. Freedom is less a gift than an achievement. Even a pharaoh, the most powerful world man in the ancient world, could lose it. And even a nation of slaves could, with the help of God, acquire it. Never take freedom for granted. It needs a hundred small acts of self-control daily, which is what halacha Jewish law is all about. Freedom is a muscle that needs to be exercised. Use it or lose it. That is a life-transforming idea.